most great innovations come around a campfire in the history of humanity. That's the truth. Mm. When people just, somebody starts a fire and they say, hey, marketing, come on, we're going to warm up. Mm-hmm. Sales, come on over. Engineering, I've got a fire going. Let's sit around the fire and talk. And in a very warm, intimate, campfire kind of a setting, great ideas have been spawned through the history of time. Just, you know, again, for the audience, Chet and I just decided, you know, in the spirit of Opus, and if you don't know what that is, go back and listen to the last few episodes. But let's just get together and talk and let's do it regularly because we like each other and each other's company and the conversations that we have. And then, you know, maybe we'll share it with the audience and hopefully they'll like it too. That's actually just been the spirit of this podcast in general is coffee conversations turned into recordings that hopefully everybody is getting something out of. So you were saying that (laughs) the last time we did this, you left feeling like the message was sour, right? Quoting Abraham Lincoln. Yes. And (laughs) you since listened to it and liked it. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So tell me more about that. Well, it felt like, I mean, the last time we didn't have a plan, I came in cold. The first two, we had a plan. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to talk about your life and yeah, and, opus and heart attack. Yeah, and then this one, it was like the athlete just said, "Hey, show up. We're gonna shoot the shit, and we're gonna do it regularly." And I'm like, "Cool," because mm-hmm. we can do that. And but I didn't know what we were gonna do, and it just felt like to me sitting in this. And you, mm-hmm. by the way, I get compliments. In fact, I was supposed to tell you. Oh yeah. Some of my friends listened to it, and mm-hmm. they said, "Make sure you tell that dude." Kaufman, that he is carrying the day. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I, I, I don't. He, that's what they said. I don't believe that they you said, even have friends, let alone friends would say something like that. But, I do. Um, I will take your word for it. Yeah. So and, so and you are good at that. So so I say today we go wherever you choose and it'll be good. And I'm, I'm going to just trust that instead of getting all in a ball about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason I, you know, wanted you to repeat that story is because I think people need to know that even somebody who's done as much work as you have that does what you do can still, when the mic is, you know, put in front of them or, you know, the attention is turned on them, you can still have all those thoughts and feelings, right? You know, we were talking about getting into hard stuff and, you know, yeah. just listening to yourself or evaluating yourself, that right. inner critic, you know, there, there is just this kind of human experience that we all have mm-hmm. that, um, you know, can take that kind of a twist and turn and, you know, you're not exempt from that. Not at all. Well, mm-hmm. let me start mm-hmm. since this is just freaking magic <laughs> being with you. Mm-hmm. Ours are not coffee shop conversations they're more north star conversations they're at north star cafe but they are north star mm-hmm. conversations and nothing felt like more of a north star conversation with you than and this will never leave me unless i'm completely riddled with 
senility, because it's so seared in my brain, I remember the lunch after you leapt out the window when I was grabbing at your hoodie mm-hmm. and said, BK, slow down. And you were like, no, I'm gone. I'm going to go start my own thing, man. I can't wait. I'm going to build these beautiful properties and I'm there, we're going to do them my way. And they're going to be with this different intention than my previous place. And you were gone. And so we huddled up at North Star Cafe in the short north. Do you remember this? I do, yeah. Do you remember this? And then we had our lunch. We talked about it. It was basically you and me and nobody else. Mm -hmm. And you were starting out and we were looking for space. And we walked out of that North Star and you said, let's just go go down High Street, see? Because that was like your vibe, your place. Mm -hmm. And we did. And we went in lots of dead ends. And... We didn't have anything scheduled. I was pretty fixated on a particular building and a location that I knew at the time I was grossly overpaying for. But I had mm. it in my head that this was the only and best option. I, can, I think and you're right. you coached me to just give it a minute, slow it down, and let's walk around the neighborhood one <laughs> last time before you decide that's the right that, thing. Yeah. And and I remember saying, Chet, I've done that. I've done it a million times. There's nothing else. And agreeing to do it with you anyway. And, you know, that's when we... 30 Warren. Stumbled upon 30 Warren, right. And again, this is now turning into my podcast interviewing you, but <laughs> what I recall about that was such a... Why that will stick with me is because I thought it was a dump and they were working on it. And you looked like an architect, engineer, artist, developer, athlete, all wrapped up in one. And you were like, oh, this is, this is cool. <laughs> I can see this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? I'm like, man, this is way too big, first of all. And you're like, oh, no, no. This is not too big. I'm like, oh yeah, it's way too big. And the way I remember that, it was like, that was a moment where I'm going to, I like, I'm not worried about this dude. Mm. You know? Well, let's, let's talk about that because, you know, I think there's, it's an interesting uh, thing in, in the spirit of coaching. Yeah. Right. So I think that one of my unique abilities, and I don't know if this is unique to me or just something that maybe we all have access to and I've learned to lean into it, but I do have a sense of kind of seeing the potential in something. Yeah. Um, in my case, mostly in my career, it's been to this point, at least in real estate development. So I can, I can literally, and it's hard to describe, but I have like a, a feeling um, things start to run through my mind. I can kind of quickly get to some version of what this is going to look like, right? Right? Um, by kind of you know seeing it at first sight, right? Right? And and so in kind of in a number of cases, you know, even in this story, you know, taking the leap and then finding, you know, what we're talking about is the what would become the headquarters for Kaufman Development, which mm. is still our home today right uh, almost you know 11 years later yeah and um and so i'm kind of curious you know from your perspective 
how do you you know decide what's crazy what's true what's what's you know kind of good risk you know from a from a coaching perspective when you when you think about either that example or others when when you're working with people that have a vision for something yeah. that that might seem you know unrealistic or or odd or weird or you know too big or whatever something yeah. you know d- how do you decide to allow for that and or you know talk sense into that you know what what is your kind of methodology for that yeah that's a good one and it is as varied as you myself there's not a one size oh i do this the key to all that if you're going to be a, a coach a builder a mentor is uh you got to know the person that you're working with. You got to know what they're about. And you, it's a total vibe, feeling, gut check, Mm -hmm. not a formula. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at you, I saw you, I'd known you, we'd worked, but the look on your face there versus the look on the face, your face at the place we were overpaying Mm-hmm. Told me, let's do it. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't see it, but you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's it's a kind of an energetic thing, and, yeah. and part of the reason I'm asking, you know, is also there's a, a curiosity because I, I think it's kind of the same for me. Yeah. Right. And like your coaching to me would probably be, well, what's your instinct? Right. You know, because that's probably the right answer, right. right? Most of the time, right? Now, I think there's probably a way to develop instincts, right? You know, you, you talk about kind of the best way to, to, to get a strong gut instinct is to do a lot of sit-ups, right? Like a lot of repetition core work. You know, you, you, if you have a strong core, if you're clear about who you are and what you're doing and all the other things that we've talked about, then it's a lot easier to trust your instincts. Your instincts are most likely going to be better, right? right? 100%. And, okay, so and so here's why I trusted your instincts with regard to picking a space. And there's certain clients who are trying to get into a new space that I would caution much more. And let me just kind of walk through that. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I have talked about this. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, so forgive me, listener, if I'm repeating myself. But remember, we need a lot of repetition. <laughs> what is instinct? My belief is, for humans, it's informed attention. So we always talk about a mother's instinct. You know, like, I don't know about you, but my mom looked me in the eyes and said, you're sick, go back to bed. (laughs) And she was right. I was Mm -hmm. trying to go do what I wanted and I was sick. Mm -hmm. And she was right. And I would have to, I can't go play basketball today. I really am sick. I was trying to fake it. Mm -hmm. But she could look in my eyes and say, Chester, you're sick. Get back, go to bed. She, She would put her lips to my forehead and confirm it and go, you have a fever, okay. You're mm-hmm. not doing that. Then there would be those days when I didn't want to go to school and I would try to look sick. Mm-hmm. 
taking it, you know? <laughs> and she would look at me, put the little lips on my forehead and say, um, get your bags, you're going to school. <laughs> and we hear that about mothers all the time. Like mm-hmm. mothers have this sixth sense about just their kids and what's going on and how to do what and how to know when to go into that raging house that's on fire with mm-hmm. the instinct of how they can get in and out with the baby. And we just go, well, that's a mother's intuition. And the reality is that the truth of that is it's informed attention. You see, mothers have been studying their opus, their children, like their life depends on it. And so, of course, they have an instinct that says, I need to coach Brett to do this because I know the dude, like better than he knows him. You know, because I've been studying him since he was born. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was studying him when he was kicking me. I was getting a feel for what kind of kid he was going to be based on the activity in the womb. So, so, so why I trusted your instinct in that moment in that, because I, I, I knew how much that was a labor of love. I knew how much you'd been studying the space, mm-hmm. the short north, the vibe, and I could trust your gut. And just go, okay, let's go. I can see the look on your face. Mm-hmm. Somebody else who that was a brand new and they were newly informed in this endeavor, I would have had a different approach. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and you mentioned people that are getting into new things. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to kind of, you know, how you then mm. apply the same thing there. Like, you know, it. well, it's new, so maybe you don't. Maybe you need to you know, mine a little deeper. And then also you, I'm also curious about kind of how you might develop kind of a blind spot because of that same repetition, right? That you've done it this way for so long, right? For sure. That maybe you don't see what you can't see. Right. Because you're so used to seeing it a certain way. Your instinct trusted it and then your first really critical hire Frankie who's going to bring a completely different instinct to the team and when we interviewed him and I remember that too he little punk from <laughs> Chicago Northwestern or Chicago you something fancy he's all prim and proper dressed <laughs> up and I'm like okay the vibe of this dude versus the other dudes mm-hmm. this is a better compliment for the athlete because this dude's very different from him. Mm-hmm. And yet I trusted him. He gave off a vibe that I believed him. And so when we studied great teams, the way they don't get, well, we don't do things like that around here. The way they avoid that and turn into a cult where everybody thinks the same is you hire diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. We talk all the time today about hiring diversity based on not thought, but diversity of ethnicity, right? Mm -hmm. Of culture. Nothing wrong with that. But we need to be teaching leaders that that's a starting point. Of course, I want you to hire a diverse workforce. Great, go do that. And don't forget, hire diverse thinkers. You know, if you just hire people that think like you, even if they look very different, act very different, come from very different backgrounds, we are going to eventually suffer from that tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. And so 
I love that your first hire was somebody who was going to challenge you because they were going to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you built the team. That kind of was kind of the theme. Right. And when you study great, healthy systems that really have be- built something that works toward oneness, distinct, as we say it, built to lead, and deeply connected, it helps you get out of that tunnel vision and avoid that blind spot. And it sounds really great. It's really freaking hard. Mm-hmm. It's really freaking hard. Yeah, it is really hard because, I mean, I experienced this with Frank still to this day. In fact, I was on a phone call with him on my way over here where right. his thinking, my thinking, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Of right. course, I wanted to not be in the middle. I wanted to be closer to my thinking, right. right? You know, we've both been doing this long enough that we're pretty convicted in our thinking, right? right? Now, you know, we've learned how to bubble up conflict right. and have healthy tension and you know, we're better as a result of the, you know, independent thinking, but would it be nice sometimes if somebody just agreed with me all the time? Yeah, (laughs) Um, I'm sure he doesn't like the fact that I don't just agree with him all the time. You know, it it isn't the easiest path. That's for sure. Probably though, you know, in the end is easier because you're going to get results that are a lot more favorable, you know? Yeah more sustainable in the long term. Diversity of thought creates that friction, that tension that will keep you reinventing yourself before the world tells you you have to. Right. So let's come back to the instinct piece. Okay. Because really all I'm doing is kind of instinctually following the threads of a conversation and kind of tuning into you and then whatever is kind of you know, coming to mind instinctually is, you know, where we end up going next. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm just kind of curious about like, you know, people say, follow your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of kind of guru talk about, you know, follow your heart, follow your intuition, you know, Mm -hmm. trust the energy, the feeling, right. It's about, it's in the body, right. It's not in the mind. And I, I actually believe all of that. Um, I find it to be difficult to practice and that in my case, you know, my mind wants to really run and it wants to drive. And, you know, I've kind of tried to learn the method of like tuning in and letting it run first through the heart and then out through the mind, right? The mind can add some value. You know, it's helpful to think things through, I think maybe, but I guess, (laughs) you know, what I'm, I'm kind of getting at is like, what 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 are we really doing like is is how much of it is heart how much of it is mind how do you kind of really add up um to get to what we're calling instinct for the history of time what did the cavemen do to figure out what to do Well, all that we know is what was drawn that carried the day. At one point in time, they were living in caves. We were, right? Cold. Somebody had the courage up to go out and figure out a way to get warm. 
right? Struck flint together, fire, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What, was a, what was the first big innovation for us? Had to be fire, I think. Okay? They drew pictures of it, you know? They put it on the cave walls for anybody to see, to, to spread this great news. What do we, so we started off by trying to figure out how to think and feel our way into life. And we captured it via words and drawings and writings. And so today, what do most people do when they want to light a fire in themselves? If they're a thinking, feeling person and they get any good counsel, the person counseling them will say, I'm listening to you. I think this is really great. Why don't you start journaling it? Mm -hmm. Why don't you start throwing it up? Because I can feel it in you, but you need to get it out on the cave wall Mm -hmm. a bit more. Mm -hmm. And then when you get it out on that cave wall, after you've used your heart and your head, and you've thrown it up without fear, so the real you is there to see, something between the mind and the heart connects it when we see it in black and white on the wall. Mm-hmm. And we go, son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. That's a rolling stone. And that's how Dylan decided to be a songwriter mm-hmm. and not a playwright. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we, could go, we could go on and on like, that's the gig. So how do you know which is how much is heart and head? Um, draw, write, play, you know, and, and play is way underrated. Mm-hmm. So we, we draw, we write, and then we go play. You and I were playing that day. Mm-hmm. We were playing. Yeah. And way too many, way too many people think that they're going to figure out where to go with their company or themselves in a brainstorming session in a boardroom. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, and I wrote this post today based on a practice I had with a client today, that the reality is most great innovations come around a campfire in the history of humanity. That's the truth. Mm. When people just, somebody starts a fire and they say, hey, marketing, come on. We're going to warm up. Mm -hmm. Sales, come on over. Engineering, I've got a fire going. Let's sit around the fire and talk. And in a very warm, intimate, campfire kind of a setting, great ideas have been spawned through the history of time. And it's just amazing to Mm -hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of curious about the value in kind of iterating. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, what I'm hearing when you say this campfire talk, right, is that that something it starts somewhere, and and this has right. kind of been true for me, and and you know, a lot of the startups I'm involved with, and I just think for entrepreneurs in general. Even if you look at kind of, you know, history, you know, Amazon started selling books, not, you know, everything. Right, right. Um, They had, you know, Kindles and that that was the big thing, right? For sure. You walk around with this digital book. It didn't know that I was going to buy, you know, soap and, you know, whatever, batteries, right? So, um, you know, the campfire kind of experience or the journaling experience the puking it up, Dylan. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of you know what got me thinking of this is that it, it feels like you know you got to just like get it out, right? And then it'll start to emerge, even if it's not the thing that comes out first. Right. It's the process of like you know we talk about like puking it up, mm-hmm. but, but it is. It's like 
you got to get it out of your system one way or another. That's right. Right. And and that can be done in journaling. I think that's a very effective way to do mm-hmm. it. Writing. It could be in doodling. It could be that's in right. jogging. It could be in meditating. All of that. It could be in therapy. You know, it could be with, you know, a loved one. It's somehow you've got to get it out of your system and into the world to even yeah. get some feedback and determine, you know, what's true, what's next, et cetera. Amen. And while we're on that, and I go back to the campfire, and this is what I think is missing in so many of our young companies today, is they don't know how to start a campfire. We've always overvalued busyness Mm. as humans. (laughs) Yeah. And today, it's ridiculous how busy we want everybody to be mm-hmm. in whatever system we're in. And the reality is a campfire is not busy. Okay. The innovative process, the creative process is not busy. You know what I mean? That's not a busy thing. That is a slow down, sit around the campfire and let's talk about stuff. Let's share ideas. So I want us to throw it all up on the wall. I want us to puke it out. And then as humans, we need to, like Dylan had to go then talk it out with somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. He had to go take that time alone and then go back and connect it with a few that would then guide him to, oh yeah, let's go record that. Let's get these. And so like we are overvaluing, in my mind, busyness at the detriment of having ideas, really good ideas that are in your head that you wrote out. But just imagine if you went off and had all these great ideas and we go back to like all these great ideas you were having from our work when we were first starting and you were in another great family business and you're writing all these out, what would have happened if I had said to you, yeah, that's really great, but why don't you just get busy where you are? You're the president here. Mm -hmm. You don't have time to do this. You need to freaking just do your job. And this is daydreaming you know, Mr. Kaufman, which is, by the way, how a lot of people are coached. Mm-hmm. And you know what? you got a really good gig right now. Why don't you just stick with this? You know what I mean? You're you snotty-nosed kid. <laughs> like, you have the greatest thing in the world. And so that's the, that is the death of entrepreneurs and innovators and creative types. And so they've got to have campfires where they can just sling shit around mm-hmm. and go, oh, my God, Brett. I'm going to hold you back, but that's it. Mm-hmm. We are going there. That is you. Yeah. Well, also, you know, a couple of things that come to mind, um, you know, one, you know, for me, you know, all of the experience that I got up until that point was incredibly valuable right. so that I had then the knowledge, the expertise, the training, the confidence to be able to trust my instincts and make that kind of jump. I mean, you know, the last family business that I was in was one that, you know, was incredibly valuable for me to learn in order to even have the opportunity to do what I'm doing now. And so there's some level of learning, training, doing the work, doing the reps. I think some people... I agree with what you're saying. And there's also maybe this kind of on the other side, people that feel like it should just happen fast for them, right? right? Like they have this idea, 
you know, in fact, I'm watching this Kanye West documentary mm. on, on Netflix. And it's fascinating to me that he, as an artist, as a rapper, was not able to get a record deal like over and over and over again. Right. He was kind of pigeonholed as this guy who would make beats for other artists. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, they didn't either believe in him or they didn't want him to stop making beats for them. There was like a lot of people there saying no, 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 no. Right. And it, and it's so it's it's kind of like you know you got to kind of do the hard, heavy lifting, grinding work to be able to even be in position to kind of take your shots when you can. That's right. So again, when when we look at the road to mastery, which is really like what gets me going, is like helping family, friends, and clients not just become pros, but become masters. Masters are very rarely beyond a domain. Now, there's always a Leonardo da Vinci to blow that theory, (laughs) you know, because he was a master of so many different domains. But when we study Einstein and you go down the pyramid builders, some of the greatest geniuses, Renaissance, you know, men and women of our time, very rarely were they beyond masters, very rarely beyond a very singular domain. And so to be a master, to your point, this iterative process in today's world, we just have our attention span. Like I told you, what is intuition? Informed attention, meaning prolonged attention on a son or daughter. Mm-hmm. It's what gives a mother's instinct. It's, an, it's juice. Mm-hmm. And yet when I, I'm constantly trying to tell clients to slow down, stay in their domain, let's build mastery. And at the same time, not stifle them from jumping out that window. Mm -hmm. What a tension. What a healthy tension, right? Mm -hmm. But the enemy of that is what I will call the transfer portal mentality of the world today. You know Mm -hmm. what the transfer portal is? I do, yeah. Yeah. Well, for the listeners that don't, the transfer portal is the, the name given to uh, college athletics, and if if an athlete is dissatisfied with the team he or she is on, and they want to switch to another team, it used to be a big freaking drawn out process. Very much not in favor of the athlete. Pendulum has now swung to where the process is really simple. All the athlete has to do is go enter their name in the transfer portal, and every coach around the United States will see them, see where they've been and can pick them up. And so if things aren't going well, a semester in, I can enter the transfer portal. I don't have to make a four-year commitment. I don't have to make a one-year commitment. I've been involved with some athletes that left before they even played their first game. Mm -hmm. And it was no big deal. Transferred and they're in. Just think about that mindset. If you're gonna be a master at something and you can keep jumping, you realize it's very hard to build mastery when you don't spend much time with one mentor. Mm-hmm. When you simply jump from one to the next, when you're given negative feedback and you go, I don't like that, I'm going to go to another one. 
you realize you're really, we're really shortcutting the ability for us to, we're going to build some pros. Got it. That just get that diverse, different leadership challenge brought to them. But what we're really doing with our CEOs and our business owners and our head coaches is we're creating a fear base in them. Mm -hmm. that I'm not sure I can really tell my CFO the truth because you know what? They just, they're a free, they're a free agent. They'll just jump. Mm -hmm. No different than my freshmen that I really need to do this, but I'm, I I don't want to lose them to the portal. So I hold back. Mm -hmm. You know, you had talked about the daydreaming piece and the value of kind of, you know, creating space to think, to, to write, to kind of daydream. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, we were also talking a little bit about kind of conditioning, parenting. I, I think that there are a lot of parents, myself included, that will advise their kids from the information they have, the life experience they have, the concerns and fears and worries they have for yeah. their kids. The conventional wisdom, I mean, I I was always told in school when I was a kid, quit daydreaming, Mm. you know, stop daydreaming. I was a daydreamer. I mean, Mm. I I kind of disassociated, you know, I was not interested in school. I would just, my my mind would just take me and I would not be paying attention hearing a word that was said. It still goes like that for me sometimes, you know, I naturally can kind of start to daydream. I find even my meditations, like I'm like, whoa, how did I get over there? Right. right? Just boom, one thought leads to the next and there you are, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and, you know, I just finished this sabbatical and, and really found that, you know, as I got about 10 weeks in of really creating space for myself to do nothing, mm-hmm. to not be thinking about anything, mm-hmm. all of a sudden big things started to come to me. Mm-hmm. So, now, look, I'm privileged. I'm able to do that. So there's, you know, a few questions in here. You know, one is like, what do you recommend for people to find space? Another one is, and I'll let you kind of pick these off however you want. Another one mm-hmm. is, how do you know as a parent whether or not we are really advocating for our kids in the way that's best for them, right? Not bringing our own intuition or instincts, you know, too much into the equation. And then, you know, maybe how do you know when you're daydreaming, if that's like the good stuff or if you're just off in la la land. So maybe let's focus on the first part, which is how do you recommend people take time, create time. You know, you were talking about the busy factor, right? And I agree, we're all busy, too busy, yeah. right? But some people might be out there saying like, well, I need to put food on my table. So I'm right. busy, I'm working hard. I don't have time or energy to, you know, take sabbatical or whatever. So what do you recommend for people to find space to create, think, you know, whatever it is? Well, you know this. This is not a plug for the book, but it, that's where, right where my mind went. If the listener has not read the Becoming Built to Lead book, there are 12 stories, the beginning of each of the essentials in that book. And those are real life stories of people that were really 
they were all really busy. They were all doing like really good stuff and they were all really conflicted as their story would tell the reader. And they weren't all like you. They were all over the place. Some were working moms who were single, struggling. Others were like former military, um, trying to make it in the corporate world. I mean, they're, they're as varied as we are. And every one of them had to struggle with putting themselves, giving themselves margin when there was no margin. So if you read a book, any book, what you notice with the book is there's what on it. When you open a page, Becoming Built to Lead, if we had it here, we could do it. What do you know? What's on the page in a book, in any book? I don't know. Numbers. Numbers, yes. What else? Words. Words. Titles. Yes. Yeah. All of Headlines, subjects. Yeah. Yeah, all that. And so the book designers, if they wanted to be efficient, would have designed it where a page in the book would have been filled. Because you'd have to use less paper then to produce the book, right? Mm-hmm. If it's really all that's on a page are numbers and words, sentences, paragraphs, why not fill it up? Well, because back in the day, really way back in the day, people had the foresight to realize that the eyes get tired quicker if I'm looking at nothing but data. So they've created margins, top, bottom, left, and right. And the book designers said, we're going to put words only in this little space inside the margins, but you leave white space so that there's something for the eyes to relax. <laughs> and yet how many humans fill their day up with no margin? Yeah. They fill it, start to finish. And, then, and they are privileged, unprivileged, fill in the blank. So what I always tell my clients is, hey, when they tell me, I don't have time to do that, Chad. I've got to put food on the table. And I'm like, you have margin. You're swiping your phone. Mm-hmm. Is that putting food on the table? You're watching that television for my older clients. <laughs> You're on YouTube. Are you learning or are you distracted? Throughout the history of time, people mostly live lives of distraction. Pascal said that. They don't know how to stay quietly in the room alone. And so I just tell my clients, spend a little baby step, a few minutes into your margin, into your room, and write. Think, reflect, slow down about what do you want to dream about. Take a few minutes. It doesn't take long. And there's stories in the book of these people working for the man, but creating margin while they were raising little kids on their own in really tough environments. And you should read those stories because they're repeated all through history of people that did not have it easy, but they're, they're doing great things. Mm-hmm. And they did not give themselves an out. They could have easily... and. It's just right across the street to victimhood. They could have, they could have said, I don't have time, Chad. Mm-hmm. 
But instead they said, I'm going to make a little time. I'm going to, I'm with you. My life has just been filled. Every page is filled because I've told myself I have to. Um, that's the only way my kids are going to eat. But I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to create a little margin. And one of those stories that's in the book, she's home now with her children. Mm-hmm. She created so much margin. She has a work life from home now. Mm-hmm. She left the very system that we were in that, that she was grateful for, that it gave her a way to get to that. But she took it now to the, to the next extreme, mm-hmm. which is freaking beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think you've said a few things in there that are really important, You know, one of which is the concept of baby stepping, yeah. right? That you know, just take a few minutes to right. sit quietly and right. think or journal right? You know, also the swiping thing. Yeah. If there's 24 hours in a day and you need, you know, eight hours of sleep, which most people aren't getting, you know, there's still, you know, plenty of time to work. Cause you know, if you work at an eight, 10 hour day, you know, you you, you still have, you know, six, eight, 10 hours that, you know, is not being accounted for. Right. There's some, there's something in there that, you know, you're doing that you're consuming your time. And then also, you know, play. I mean, play can be a part of this, Absolutely. Um, Huge part. Yeah. So, okay, so... Aren't we playing right now? Yeah, we are. We are. And, you know, what I'm kind of... And let me interrupt. Yeah. Do you remember when we started playing and you walked in that door? Yeah. Do you remember what you said to me? I said, yeah, you're... Look at you. You're sitting quietly. You're not on your phone. You're just sitting there thinking quietly. Right. Yeah margin yeah right so it's a great example simple right because just a couple minutes right that's right i was on that thing Mm -hmm. a few minutes before that Mm -hmm. out in your lobby i was doing some work Mm -hmm. yeah i came in and reset yeah and and so i think you know what you were saying about the book right and filling it and how our eyes get tired yeah right there is a lot to be said for how you are able to think Mm-hmm. or perform or you know act when you're not tired right right that 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 is also like grossly underestimated and undervalued 100% right that you do need to get some sleep and right. you do need to find these things that charge you right and that you can actually drive much harder much faster accomplish much more if you have created that space that's right. Yeah. And gosh, we could talk about that athlete forever. But one of the things that in our busy world, no margin, and that promotes the play is the core work that we have everybody do that you fell in love with. I remember like it was yesterday, which is the part of the core work that is called love to. Right. What did you, sir? Yeah, I still come back to that one. I know you do. I it's mean, the one that I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. And I want to do that. And the more you write, I love to, and fill in the blank, and then you look at your day, your week, your month, and you look back at it against the matrix of my love tos. And if you didn't play with some of them, let's play with one. Baby step one. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so let me just kind of like drill down on this, you know, one last piece here. When you write the love to list, the coaching that I always remember is like, 
no restrictions, no bound, just puke it up, mm-hmm. everything, include everything. Don't think about work. Don't think about making it work, how you're going to turn this into a job or make money. Just write down things that you love. And so it gets pretty expansive, right? You know, when you do that, if you really do it and you keep doing it, you can expand it to like everything, you know, that that you actually love. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember like, I like getting massages. You know, I I love blue sky, you know, I mean, it's, it's whatever, right? I love conversation and thinking about Right. Like, you know, we're playing. Uh, mm-hmm. I love talking to Chet. Here we are doing mm-hmm. this. Who knows what this becomes, right? right? Or what comes of it. So, what I'm kind of curious about, though, is for me, and I think most people, whenever you go there into daydream world where big ideas that feel like aspirational or you know, really energizing or, or love to, I'd love to do that. And I hear this a lot. People will say, well, if I could do anything, I would do that, but here's all the reasons why I can't do it. Right. Right. You know, blah, 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 blah. Right. And that's not for me. And that's too hard. And that's, you know, you got to have this and money and, you know, I didn't go to that college or whatever it is. Right. I got to work. I got a family, you know, all the stories, but that's what happens. Mm -hmm. You, you can very, very quickly talk yourself out of it. Right. How do you really know when you should encourage the big dream, the love to, or internally trust the thought that comes from the daydream? You know, again, many parents' cases, they are scared of the big dream. You know, I heard a father say just this last weekend, I was visiting my son for dad's weekend. And one of the dads said, well, my kid's going to go to law school. Right. And um, he's going to law school because he'll always have that to fall back on. Right. And I kind of like listened to the two of them talk and and it was pretty clear to me that like, that's the way the dad was conditioned. Mm -hmm. I don't think the kid actually wants to go to law school. Right. right? But, you know, he's kind of telling him that with love, you know, but it's, it's just his conditioning. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, just maybe speak to the, to that point a little bit. It's pretty simple. Andrew Jackson, our seventh president was, um, a young dude once like all of us, like you and me, you're still fairly young, but you're not a young dude. You're like a middle-aged dude. I'm like a little past that dude. Mm -hmm. You're like having dessert. I'm like having dessert. Yeah. But Andrew Jackson, our seventh president, when he was a 26-year-old punk, he was a circuit judge. And as the story goes, which a circuit judge is like a, a total punk. You, you, back in the day, you rode in on your horse to dispense justice for like a day. And then you rode on to the next town. It was like a traveling salesman, except your job was to try the traffic court stuff. And... Long story short, I'm not going to tell the listener the whole story, but it's such a great story. But there was a rowdy going, going off in town that day. The story goes that Jackson was in there as a punk doing his thing, and the sheriff comes in to cry for help. And Jackson eventually has to go out himself because the sheriff and a posse can't corral the rowdy. And Jackson walks out by himself, with his pistol, and in a few seconds' time, 
gets the guy to lay down his gun and knife. And the crowd's like blown away that one man has brought in a crazy man when a whole posse couldn't do it. And they ask the guy, his name was Haas, as he's walking to jail, they ask him, like, why did you surrender to one dude when you held the posse at bay? And he goes, well, I saw Nary shoot in any of their eyes. But when I looked at him, I saw shoot in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I says to myself, says I, Haas, it's time to sing small. And so I did. Mm -hmm. That's what I look for. Mm -hmm. Shoot in the eye. Yeah. Yeah. And and it comes in a variety of ways. But when I see Mm -hmm. it, I know it. And I'm like, go do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when I don't see it, which is most of the time, I challenge them to go get it and that I don't stop until they, they, they have such that in their eye that I feel good about it. Because the last thing I want to do as somebody's mentor and coach is, is help them get off the rails. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm, very, I'm, I'm overly cautious to not encourage them to go jump on that big daydream of theirs until I look in their eyes and I go, Son of a bitch. So you answered that from the perspective of your clients. Yeah. How does that change if it changes at all with your kids? Well, it doesn't change dramatically, you know, as I look at it. But as a father, you know, I, you know, and I told you I'm conservative. I I don't encourage them to go do the daydream unless I see shoot in their eye. Mm. I'm, I'm that same conservative dad. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I would just say probably harder on them with the early ones and softer on them with the late ones. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a reflection not of them, but of me. Mm -hmm. And so when my oldest son learned to play poker at a Jesuit university, I was not doing Mm backflips. He was not learning what I thought he was going to learn when he went away to college. He, uh, and, and I, and he didn't want to go to, he didn't want to go to college. And so I was probably harder on him mm-hmm. than I would have been on a, on a client when he was clearly daydreaming and I wanted him to at least get an education. Like I didn't care what he became, but I was in my mind like he's got to go to college and he didn't want to go. I wanted him to go find that. So he and a friend ended up going to another country where they could see what it's like somewhere else. And that was really great. Mm. And he learned a lot. And both of them learned a lot. But I probably wasn't as warm and cuddly as I would have liked to have been mm-hmm. with how I got him there. And so, because I was probably more fear-based, like, this is my son, like, I can't let him have a train wreck here. And so my fear probably kept me from realizing, like, my son, that same son, Jordan, is a professional poker player mm-hmm. and has been forever. Mm-hmm. I've made my total peace with that and I freaking love it. Yeah. 
but it took a while. Sure. Longer. Appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's a great example because I think you see a lot of this right now. Um, and it has been for a long time. Yeah. And we might have even talked about this. There was this kind of narrative that I heard a lot in school, which was quit daydreaming. Right. Then there was like, you're going to be a vidiot if you sit there and play video games right. all day. Right. right. And more recently, it was like, oh, the Kardashians or Paris Hilton, these reality TV show people, they're trashy and stupid and one hit wonders. Right. Right. Well, you know, it turns out that like, um, you know, daydreaming can be incredibly powerful. Now right. everybody's meditating and trying to, right, like, you know, get to to something. The gamers are today's real athletes. And, oh, right. right. Um, you know, poker is, uh, and, and gambling for that matter. Right. Um, you know, although, you know, can be dangerous and addictive and all kinds of things is also become like a massive industry right. and a, a profession, right. Totally. Where people do make money and, and love what they do. Right. Right. Opus, oh, no right? doubt. Um, you know, maybe, um, you know, reality TV show, uh, <laughs> people actually are brilliant. Right. right. You know, um, you know, as Naval says, like success is, um, determined by getting what you want. Looks like they're getting what they want, you know? Yeah. Um, and they've developed platforms that are, you know, worth billions of dollars. So my my question to you is like, what I've been asking, you know, kind of driving at is like, we bring our own history. We bring yeah. our own fears, our judgments, our worries, our doubts to our kids, to ourselves, to our lives, to those around us, right? There's a lot of group think. There's a lot of like, this is the right way to do it. That's wrong. That's, you know, a bad path. You better go to college if you don't go to college, you know, and I'm starting to really kind of get that. Like, I know a lot less than I thought. Yeah. You know? And so I'm wondering like, well, what do you do with that then? Because like the other advice which I forget which dead guy said this, There's, yeah. uh, but the, I believe in you. Yeah. Right. Those are the most powerful words, words you can share with your kids. Right? right. So, you know, on one hand, you've got shoot in the eye. On the other hand, I believe in you. One of my worldview, I believe statements is I believe the more I learn, the less I know. Mm-hmm. I wrote that one years ago. I've emboldened it. You know, literally, the more I learn, the less I know. Period. End of story. So when it comes down to with your kids and my son, Jordan, his dog became our dog when he and his wife divorced. And Tank was their dog. And Tank had been with us when they'd been all over the world. And they both said, we want Tank to be with you and Miss. And we were like, thank you. God. <laughs> and so we took Tank on and we had six or seven glorious years with him. He, uh, you know, was my best friend and he was my dog. Mm-hmm. Every dog is Missy's dog. <laughs> Tank was like my dog. He would sit outside my door. He would greet me at the door like your kids did when, you know, when they were little. He would run to the door every time I came home. He would run to the couch to race me to the couch to get on and 
and hug it up. And he'd sit by my door at the office when he heard me on a call with a client and he'd sit there and try to learn. I could hear him rubbing his ear up against it. And I'd open it and he'd like fall in. Mm -hmm. And he was an abused dog. When Jordan Couture adopted him, he he was being abused um, by some crazy people. And one of their friends paid them a hundred bucks and took the dog from a party. But Tank was damaged, you know what I mean? He was beaten up and he didn't, especially men, he didn't trust him. Took a long time for him to trust you. And he died in, in missing my arms, some kind of a heart thing. They didn't, they say dogs don't have heart attacks. I did, mm-hmm. but he looked like a heart attack. It just, he was barking at somebody that was intruding in our yard, you know, a FedEx delivery dude. And, and he just killed over and Misk screamed and I ran in and he was gone. Mm-hmm. And it wrecked me. Like it wrecked me like so bad. So I started writing mm-hmm. and I just started throwing up my thinking. And, and that's how I'm going to answer your question about how do you deal with this with your kids when, you know, this, they're headed down the wrong path. Um, they're not doing it the right way. Um, you're confused and you're scared. I, I wrote a mantra after all that throw up about Teeks. I renamed him Teeks. Mm-hmm. Miss renamed him Teeks Tank. We called him Teeks because he, was, he wasn't a tank. He was a 22-pound dog. <laughs> he had a little tiki skirt, Missy called it. It was like his little hair that went down low. <laughs> and so he was our Teeks. And what I wrote was that I learned from Teeks was Teeks lived hard. He had a really hard life and he attacked life. Mm-hmm. He lived hard. He, he, he went after it, but he loved harder. And once he realized that you were in his directory, I mean, he would love you. I mean, like, you just can't believe it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it, it hit me when I was writing about him. And I was like, well, that's the way I want to live my life. I want to live hard. I was pretty good at that. And I was like, you know why you're softer with Crit and Tay? It's because you've slowly evolved into somebody who is learning to love. Mm-hmm. You've always learned. I wanted them all to grow up and be responsible. You knew how to teach them to live hard and do the right thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. but you forgot about loving them harder. Yeah. And so what I tell myself when I'm not sure what to do with family or friends or clients I lean toward that last part of the tiki mantra. Mm -hmm. We're probably living hard. How do I love them harder? Mm -hmm. It's really a great, important message. And it does answer my question. Hopefully the audience hears that too. What I'm hearing is really this love harder, Mm -hmm. right? Like as a parent, um, Mm -hmm. even yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Starts there. Yeah, and why you, you would say that you... You started harder and then, you know, got softer, yeah. right? Because you're loving harder. Right. Yeah. And and I think, you know, what comes with the love is um, acceptance. Um, you know, it comes with compassion. It comes with, you know, uh, a, a warmth, right? And there is a time and place for um, truth and love. Right. And, Absolutely. You know, really, you know, kind of you know, um, teaching lessons, boundaries, you know, right. We're not talking about coddling. We're not talking about just like, you know, um, 
you know, everybody gets a trophy kind of thing. Not at all. Right. But we are talking about love right. and leading with love yeah. and, um, and, and putting aside the things that maybe we worry about, mm-hmm. um, fear, believe, you know, any judgment, criticism, you know, story that we have about what's right. You know, right. you put all of that aside and just focus on love and the love right. that you have for the individual. And it creates, I think, this opening to right. get to truth, to get to the best advice, to get to the best guidance when when all you're doing is really coming from that place. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy. And it's not easy. And as C.S. Lewis said, love anything and your heart shall surely be broken, wasted. But the alternative is to protect yourself and build a fortress. And he also said that if you do that, you will die in the casket of your own selfishness. We don't have any choice. We're designed in love, by love, for love. And it's a risky way to live. But it's really the only way to live. And so, I mean, I'm all about tough and tender. Mm-hmm. You know, it's both. I'm going to be, I'm never not going to be tough. I'm never not going to live hard. But the, the master in the art of living, which is what I'm aiming at, loves harder. Mm-hmm. That's all. Loves harder. Yep. It's good. I'm uh, I'm off to do one of my love twos good. and um, live up to my nickname, which tennis is just the name that you give me. The athlete, baby. Um, nobody else calls me that, and I don't call myself that. But I'm going to play tennis, and good. if I keep talking to you, I'm going to be late. So don't do that. Go uh, do that. I'm going to go do that, and we'll continue this. Thank you for taking the time and. And we'll, you know, meandering around and uh, hopefully, you know, what is as enjoyable for others as it is for me. Well, it was for me too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>